There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at The Times. This episode of Right Lane is sponsored by the Scripps Howard Awards. The Scripps Howard Foundation and Right Lane are collaborating to spotlight some of the best journalism of 2019. The awards will be April 16th in Cincinnati. In this episode, and ones to come, we'll talk to some of the winners of the Scripps Howard Contest. Today's topic, Super Trees. Joining us from Vox are Kainaz, Amaria and Eliza Barkley, who are winners of the Scripps Multimedia category. Please be advised that we are recording via Skype, five people in five different locations, so we might have a few hiccups. But Allison Graves, our producer, is going to do her best to smooth everything out. So Kainaz is the visual editor and runs a team specializing in graphics, interactives, photography, data, and design. Previously, she was an editor on NPR's visual team, and she is a Times alum. Yay. Eliza oversees Vox's health, science, energy, and climate coverage. Formerly, she was a science and food reporter and editor at NPR and edited the food blog, The Salt. For those who haven't seen this project, which is exceptional, we'll post a link with the podcast. So first, thanks for joining us, guys. And uh, Lane was one of the judges for this category, and she raved about this project. So I wanted to start there with why, Lane, what did you love about it? Well, we had um, 48 entries in the multimedia competition for the Scripps Howard contest. They were from TV stations and magazines and online sources and newspapers. And there was just this huge variety. And we started out and there's another podcast on this about like what makes a multimedia project, because some of them were um, really beautifully told stories with some cool graphics. Some of them were like really beautiful videos with a couple words. But this one, we, we split up the entries <laughs> the, um, the three judges um, of which I was one and we all came back to the room and said oh my god did you read the trees oh my god did you see the trees because this this project just stood out above all the other 47 in the category about being the best use I thought of, of all of the elements the writing was absolutely beautiful there were first person narratives there was just gorgeous descriptive writing there was really complicated science there was history and geography but when you entered the project you enter into this forest and you're basically like full screen. It, I had to go to the computer because I wanted to see it all, not on my phone. It was so beautiful. It, it's just like you're climbing up the largest tree in the Amazon jungle and then you're crawling through the mangroves, you know, on, on some remote island somewhere. And the photography was exquisite. But they also did these really cool graphics where there were chunky text would spill up. If you didn't want to read the whole story, you could read these really nicely done chunky text box that explained why these trees were important and what they offered to the environment and what people were trying to do to save them. But it also gave these interactive graphics. It talked about rainfall and it was just 
every element of multimedia that you would have wanted to be part of your project was in this project. And and I I don't think I'd ever seen one that made me so excited about using all the tools we had at our disposal. But not we, they. <laughs> so with so many stories on climate change, how did you guys come up with this concept? Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for uh, this opportunity to talk about this project. It's a wonderful respite from the news at the moment. Uh, and and thank you so much for the kind words about it, Lane. Um, we, we had an amazing time putting it together and, and so glad that it resonated for you and the judges. Um, in terms of the origin, uh, I was invited to a deforestation conference uh, now almost two years ago. And I had um, a couple conversations there with forest experts and one just really stuck with me, which was uh, a guy who said, you know, it's frustrating for us who work on, those of us who work on nature-based climate solutions because we feel like everyone's so focused on techno technological solutions to climate change, uh, solar panels and whatnot. And, and actually, you know, forests are such a huge opportunity um, to mitigate climate change. And, and I just, that, that comment just kind of stuck with me for months. And then we heard about uh, the Pulitzer Center which um, funded this project very generously, and they uh, around this, they had they had actually been at the same conference that I'd been at, and they uh, launched uh, something called the Rainforest Journalism Fund a few months later, and um, and so one of our, our bosses just kept nudging me to apply for that grant, and so thanks to that, it kind of forced me to think about what would be a a cool way to talk about um, forests as a, a climate solution, forest protection as a climate solution. And over time, you know, through the course of several conversations, I, I also was drawing from having read a couple of books that were really inspiring, including The Overstory by Richard Powers, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning novel that came out around the same time, and another wonderful book called The Songs of Trees. And both of these books just really made tr a certain individual tree species characters and really brought to life the the magic of uh you know forestry science and all the cool things that trees can do and the ways they interact with other species and so um it was sort of the combination of all those things that made the the concept of the story come together yeah talk a little bit for us about how you brought all those um people and elements together. How many people total worked on the project for how long? And that you guys did a lot of international travel for this. Can you talk a little bit about just the process of once you have this idea, how you start gathering the information and, and, and making, picking your trees and picking your people to talk about the trees? Mm -hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, first of all, Lane, thank you uh, again so much for what you said about the project that really, uh, um, makes us feel good that uh, it's very rare that you get a project like this and actually execute on your intentions. And then the audience sort of sees that and shares that. So it really feels great. Um, I think one of the things that was really important was one, it was Eliza's really unique approach to reframing a a topic that it sometimes is hard to wrap your head around. Um, and, um, and 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 really thinking about these trees as 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 superheroes and super and and um 
So one thing that I always tell folks when they come to us and want to collaborate and make big multimedia stories is I try to get everything out of their brain as possible to understand what story or what, what problem they're trying to solve. And so Eliza came to me early on and said, we have this idea, three trees in different rainforests all over the world. And for a long time, I, I just, we talked, you know, and I'm sure Eliza was just exhausted by me asking her more questions and more questions and more questions. But I kept, I kept trying to get everything out of her head in order to understand the scope of what she was trying to do and then try to help her solve problems visually. So when, once you understand these are three rainforests and these are three very unique trees, okay, how do we show their, you know, how majestic they are? We're going to need some drone photography. How do we go underwater? We're going to need someone that can do underwater photography. Um, how do how do we make people feel the importance of these trees? We have to make sure that we capture the relationship between the scientists and these trees and not just have a series of photographs without people in them. And so the more I knew about the story and and the the textures of the story um, early on, the the you know, the easier it was. Uh, towards the end of the project to put things together. So even as Eliza was thinking about the types of trees she wanted to focus on, she'd run them by me and be like, is this visual enough? Or, you know, this one is so gorgeous. Like, imagine what we can do visually. And so that collaboration and um, discussions early on, I think were really, really incremental in, in, in being able to execute at the other end of the project, which was putting everything together. How did you guys get access to these remote areas? I mean, how'd you talk yourselves into, how'd you talk your way into these places? Well, um, in my experience in the past, and definitely in this case, you know, a lot scientists tend to be pretty excited to share their work with the world. That said, um, these were logistically challenging field, uh, Field. This was logistically challenging field work to uh, accompany. <laughs> so, um, you know, the the in, in in pretty much every case, like we had to, yeah, we had to coordinate with the scientists and figure out, you know, when they were actually going to be in these remote field stations. So they're not. It's in the case of Brazil and Indonesia, like these scientists are not in the field all the time um, in these remote areas. So we had to figure out when they were going and then go with them and then. In my case, for the Indonesia trip, like I originally wanted to go to a different part of Indonesia. I wasn't able to get a visa to go there. Then I had to find another team. And I was really lucky that I did find a team that had a trip planned. But it was actually, in retrospect, kind of miraculous because they only had two, you know, very brief research trips planned for the entire year. Like they are most of the year in Jakarta and they only go into the field twice. And when they are in the field, they're doing this really intensive sampling um, and work. And so to be able to actually go at the same time with them was amazing. But yeah, it took a lot of emails and coordinating and waiting to hear. And, you know, we had to be very flexible and I, you, you'd asked how long did it take? Um, I mean, I think we got the grant in February and then we started 
uh, planning and really mapping things out in April. And then we didn't publish until November or sorry, December. So it was a very long process. And there were stretches where we weren't working at on it at all. We were doing other things, impeachment, et cetera. Um, and overall, I think there were like, there were eight people who worked, ex, you know, very hard on the project. And then there were a couple of, there were several other editors who came in towards the end and helped out. Um, so yeah, it was a very big team. I'm hoping our listeners are going to look at it and read it because it really is wonderful. Um, but can you walk, since they haven't yet, maybe, can you walk us through a little bit about the adventures you guys had in getting to these remote places? And also, I'm interested as a writer in the decision. I mean, it, it was so perfect because you soared really quickly into little text box that gave even like an eighth grade science teacher the opportunity to use this to teach amazing science. But you also had these rich first person narratives about climbing the tower and things like that. So I wonder what kind of discussion there was as you went through these crazy adventures about where you're going to write first person or weren't you going to write first person or what 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 part of a character you guys would become in this project. <laughs> this always happens when I pitch uh, these really visually rich stories is I know that writers still have 5,000 words in them that they need to get out. So uh, you want to balance like the, you know, the really beautiful journey, but also be able to condense something and create a completely different experience. And, and so, yeah, Lane, what we talked early on was my pitch was like, listen, I want to do a full on immersive story with visuals on all three trees. But if we do that, we're not going to be able to go really deep into certain areas because that would make the scrolling experience incredibly long and it just wouldn't work in this format. And so I want writers to write about their journeys because they're so incredible. And, and I have a lot of visuals that I can put with those really beautiful long narratives. Um, but then, you know, really crafting something where the photos and the graphics and the, uh, the, the copy sort of integrate into a, a, a standalone. And if, if you look at the sort of integration of those things, the text has to be bite-sized because you're scrolling up and you don't get really big paragraphs, which means we have to be really economical with how we write and what we say. And um, so I always want to offer, you know, another place where we can get all those words and that beautiful journey and, and the you know, the beautiful prose somewhere. So it's really deciding like what type of writing and the way you write um, for your delivery and your format, I think is really important. And thankfully Eliza and all the writers were willing to take feedback from a visuals editor and say, hey, this is too long or this doesn't work with the images or, or you know, sometimes Eliza was like, I need to put this here. Can you change the photo? And, you know, so it was just a really close collaboration. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In that sense, but also, you know, uh, there was a humility in the in the writers in allowing another editor to sort of steer them in certain directions, which I really appreciated. Yeah, that was quite, you know, I think a non-traditional process <laughs> in that, again, especially for the main piece, we were we were just so we you know, we wanted the visuals were the top priority and the graphics and then the text needed to support them um, as opposed to just writing an article and then adding photos, you know, and as a second step. Uh, and then to your question of our, our adventures um, in, in reporting, I mean, one, one thing that is, you know, probably clear from the piece is that we had to go, we had to travel very far to get to these places where these ecosystems are still pristine, where the scientists are studying these trees um, in, you know, patches where they're undisturbed and where the ecosystem is still really healthy. <clears throat> and um, so in every case, it meant, uh, you know, boat rides. Actually, yeah, I think we all three had to fly and then fly and then get on a boat <laughs> and go up a river or um, yeah actually in all three cases we had to take river boats um, to get to these research stations um, and so yeah it was a lot it was a lot of travel and then um, I mean they the the other two were the other two teams were staying at, you know at real research stations which were pretty um you know, simple accommodations. I know that Umer, who went to Brazil, said that he slept in a hammock in a room with like 15 other people, you know, all the researchers in this, at the, um, the Ato uh, research station in the Amazon, they all slept together in a room and they were woken up at like 4.30 every day by birds in the jungle. Um, and then he had to climb the tower, which, you know, was it was kind of funny because we, we, we knew that the tower was there like before he went, of course, and we really wanted photos from the tower of the forest. And so we told him, we're like, you have to climb the tower. <laughs> and, and then, you know, after the, we said that to him and the photographer. So they like literally didn't have a choice from <laughs> in terms of the assignment. And then after the fact, you know, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my God, there's no way I would have done that. Like, I yeah. have to go. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have and been able like, to climb that tower. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, what I'm really glad is that he didn't he didn't really he fortunately didn't think or they didn't like get scared beforehand. You know, it's like the kind of thing where if you were really dreading it and then you had to do it, you would probably be more scared. But I think he just like he like he, he was like, well, I have to do it because they said I had to <laughs> So he did it and just kind of sucked it up and like, you know, fortunately just, you know, was, they were fine. Um, but he also had to carry the photographer's gear because the photographer was uh, a little bit injured. Um, and then what else? Um, oh, I mean, the, the thing, another interesting thing that happened in Indonesia was that, uh, so I mentioned, you know, that we were 
ostensibly going to a pristine research site, but in fact, and I mentioned this in the long piece uh, on Indonesia that when we got to the this patch of mangroves, which the these researchers they have visited now several times over several years, and they've sampled and they you know they're trying to study how the mangrove is changing. Uh, this on this particular trip, it turned out that a, a palm oil farm had encroached like quite significantly on the site. So in the course, they hadn't been there in a year. And when we arrived in August, they were like, oh my God, you know, like the, the neighboring palm oil plantation is now um, cutting into our research site. Um, and so that just was like a very obvious, you know, example of just how intense the pressures are on the mangroves in Indonesia from things like, you know, palm oil plantations and, and shrimp farms, aquaculture, the kinds of things I talked about. And that was just very surprising and kind of disturbing to the researchers. What did you guys take away? What did you learn from this experience? I mean, it really did sound like you, and it came away that way, like you really coordinated well and you were talking to each other all the way through it. Did you did you come away though feeling like, what, what lessons did you take away from, from this experience? Mm. Okay, Naz, you want to go first? <laughs> uh, well, um, do you want to talk about user testing? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, um, I wasn't in the field, but a few takeaways for me um, as the visuals editor. One, I'm really proud that we were able to hire local journalists in the country or near the countries that we were um, uh, going to. Uh, because I I think that it really adds an, a, a sort of layer of intimacy and um, understanding. And um, it also adds a really great collaboration between the writer that we send and also the pairing with the photographer. So I, I, I think that I've never been able to actually coordinate a project where I'm hiring different photographers and coordinating their visions in order to make a cohesive project. So um, that was challenging, but also uh, a great a great experience. Um, the other thing which I I you know swear by when we're making these sort of bigger law sort of collaborative projects is user testing. And I've been making these sort of integrated web native experiences for over a decade. And, and one thing that always, always saves projects is um, when you have a pretty solid rough draft is doing user testing, which essentially means finding people that have no idea about the project that are coming in completely with a blank slate, sitting down next to them, watching them experience the project and asking, you know, really simple questions, not leading questions to then gather information and see where the holes are, what type of UX um, uh, problems are, are coming up and what type of editorial sort of content isn't resonating the way we want it to resonate. <laughs> I think uh, Kainaz and another editor asked me, uh, I think even before we, we did a lot of planning and almost outlining before we went into the field. Um, and one thing I did as early as April or May <clears throat> was to, um, I create, I made a PowerPoint of the story, um, where I was just pulling like photos from the internet that I could find of the trees, also pulling some graphics that were just like, you know, stand-ins for the graphics that we wanted to do eventually. Um, so that, 
we we could have just at least just assemble and begin to organize the piece. So it's like, here's the overarching point we want to get across. And if we focus on this tree, we would say this about it. And then we would have this kind of graphic. And, you know, of course it changed a lot, but it was still a really good exercise for me. I mean, I'd never like started a story in PowerPoint before <laughs> and then had to present it um, to my colleagues. Um, I would say, I would, I would also say one other thing is, um, the, uh, I think being really honest with understanding the limitations of each medium. So understanding the limitations of photography then allows you to bring in graphics in certain ways that are really important. And then understanding the limitations of the words allows you to bring in other elements. And so when you are really tightly editing something like this. You've got to constantly say, like, is this the absolute right way to tell this particular part of the story or is there another way? Um, and sometimes it's not through photos or it's not through graphics or it's not through words or sometimes it's all three of those or sometimes it's video. Um, but I think uh, knowing the limit of each medium helps in a lot of ways. So I have like a million more questions for you guys, but we're running out of time. So I'm going to ask one more. Um, I mean, winning the Scripps Howard Award is great and congratulations on that. But I, I wanted to ask about other feedback that you guys have gotten because this piece, it also struck, struck this really nice chord to me that it was, it was an advocacy piece. It was a, here's why you have to protect these beautiful trees. Here's what they're going to do for our environment. It wasn't finger wagging, it wasn't policy suggesting, but what kind of feedback did you get and, and what kind of outcome do you hope it's gonna bring in terms of um, sharing the information to policymakers potentially? Well, um, yeah, you're right that it, it was, it had a sort of broad audience in mind. Um, and I, I, we got a lot of, very positive feedback from a lot of different people, but I will say one of the most um, interesting <laughs> bits of feedback to, to me was uh, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce. Uh, he tweeted this story in January about a month after it had published. And then 10 days after that at um, the World Economic Forum in Davos, he, announced uh, that that uh, Salesforce and also he himself and his own uh, philanthropic, personal philanthropic efforts would be contributing uh, very large sums of money to the Trillion Tree Initiative, which was, which existed before Davos, but was sort of given a huge boost. Um, and it is a, in part, a reforestation project, um, but it's like a massive new uh, project or newish project for in support of um, trees as a solution to climate change. So obviously I don't, he probably was thinking about this issue before he read the piece, but I'd like to think that it helped inspire him um, further. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I, I see, I've seen a lot of, uh, other environmental groups pointing to it as 
or, or just in in making in in reference to why you know this is this shows why <clears throat> you know um, just pr protecting what we already have in addition to reforestation is really important because I think that a lot of people would like to think that you can just plant a lot of trees and like that sounds you know somewhat easy even though it's definitely not <laughs> either but it's I mean our point is like is really to say hey look at the at these forests that remain that they're in they have so many benefits um so many they provide so many ecosystem services uh even aside from just carbon sequestration and and that's why we, in addition to doing a lot of other things, we have to ensure that we don't um, lose them. So I, I, I think that I hope that it also just is a becomes a kind of resource just going forward as that debate I think will continue to play out and just like all the different ways in which forests can play a role in uh, climate mitigation. But you know, the key one is like just also save what the rich ones, the rich ecosystems that we have left. Um, yeah. Was there anything, Kainaz, that you remembered? Any other feedback that I'm forgetting? I think one thing that I, I found pretty remarkable is when people were sharing it, there is a sort of increase in literacy around mobile visual storytelling on the web. And a lot of people were sharing the story, talking about not just the reporting, but the integration of graphics and the stunning visuals and like, stop what you're doing and look at this. And, um, you know, the goal from the beginning was to get people to love these trees um, and to understand the local scientists and how they are studying them. And it really felt like when people were tweeting and saying, this is an amazing story on your phone. It looks beautiful that, you know, it just felt really rewarding. And it made it, it did make me feel like, oh, some of the sort of literacy of our audience is, is sort of elevating because um, they're recognizing the format in the storytelling and the way that the storytelling works so well on mobile. Um, and uh, that was that was surprising to me in, in, in a good way. Thank you guys so much. This is, um, the, the project really is informative. It makes you feel a lot smarter when you read it. Um, so if folks out there have any questions, we're happy to pass those along. Or if you have a question for Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Or find us on our Facebook group. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Allison Graves. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.